in three, two, one. As we head into the third decade of the 21st century, facing an enduring pandemic, a weakened economy, and nasty political divisions, the need for significant leadership has never been more acute. The generic efficiency leadership model of the 20th century will not guide companies, the nation, or the world out of the current plight, because to a very large extent, efficiency leadership is what led to the situation in the first place. To help us understand how leadership needs to evolve is my guest, Lauren Schieffer. Well, hi, Lauren. Welcome to the podcast. We're delighted to have you. Thank you so much. It is my pleasure and my privilege to be here. Now, where are we talking to you from today? Coming to you from the heartland of the United States, a suburb of Kansas City. And I hesitated to say where you're coming from because I know you grew up in many, many different places. You're the Colonel's daughter, and I want to talk about where that came from because it's all part of your branding. But you're really not from anywhere, are you? You pretty much traveled all over the place? Yeah, I get that all the time. Where are you from? (laughs) I grew up in the Air Force. I'm not from anywhere. I can relate. My father was in the service for 29 years, so I was in a different school almost every year. So I know what that looks like and how it feels. Were you living anywhere from a long-term perspective? No, actually growing up, I never lived anywhere for three years back to back until I graduated high school and went to college. The shortest station we ever had was six months. Some of them were 18 months. Your dad worked on significant air programs as well and things which we are still using today. And you've got some terrific stories in your programs and your keynote where you talk about that and some of his experience as well. But I know that you saw good leadership and ingenuity and innovation and somebody who had a good work ethic from a very early age. Yeah. Just about everything that I believe, espouse, teach, speak on, I learned from my dad. I used to sit with him on the driveway when he'd work on our cars or whatever. And I would help him by handing him tools and keeping him company. And he would talk to me about life. And the life lessons that he taught me is what I have now transitioned into my kernels of wisdom. Well, that sounds fantastic. Now, you had a very, very business background. I know you worked in direct sales for periods of time. You then worked in training and you're with some of the leading training companies, and you had a number of years there. Is that how you transitioned, or how did you transition from that to, hey, I'm now going to be an author, a speaker, a facilitator, and a coach? My entire life, people have been telling me to stop talking. (laughs) I spent many years in corporate America, and my corporate career was very much like my growing up, not spending too much time in any one job. I was an admin, a receptionist. I was in sales, customer service, accounting, That was fun. Management development. When I stepped away from being a sales director with Mary Kay, I happened to offer a keynote for free to a friend. And she said, oh my gosh, I can't believe you haven't pursued this for a living. And I said, yeah, if I could get someone to pay me to talk. No, really people pay speakers. That's kind of where it started. I can totally relate to that. We have so much in common and we've talked about that on our pre-calls. I was speaking for free, didn't know there was even a business and I was doing all these talks. And finally I said, no, because I was too busy. And the company was Century 21. And they said, well, we'll pay you. And I said, well, how much? And they said, well, we'll give you 500 bucks for an hour. And I went, 500 bucks for an hour? Absolutely, I'll do that. So it was great. I had no clue it was even a business. So I'm glad you transitioned. Now, you did training for one of the largest training companies was SkillPath. I think you were with them for, what, seven, eight, 10 years, somewhere in there. I was with them for seven years. And for the last four years that I was there, based on the numbers that they track, I was their number one trainer in consistency for the last four years. So what that tells me is I stayed four years too long. (laughs) Right. I had two kids in college. 
Oh, goodness. And it helped pay for the kids' college. So, well, it's like I said, it's been a good career and I can relate to that as well. Now, finding your topic, how did you determine the topic? Because you talk about finding significance and where we look past short term success to achieve lasting impact. And you really define the difference between success as a leader and significance as a leader. What led you down that road? How'd you end up there? Just about everything ends up back at dad. And Dad's quote, the one that I use in my keynotes is, anyone can be successful, kiddo. Making a lot of money, losing it, making it back, that's easy. Choose to be significant. And while most people chase success, success is inwardly focused. It's about me. It is about how much money I make and what my title is and what my accolades are. It's all about me. Significance, on the other hand, as my father defined it and gave it to me, significance is outwardly focused. Significance is about we has nothing to do with compensation packages and parking spots. Significance is about how many lives we touch and the manner in which we choose to impact them because how we impact others is a choice. That was the point that dad instilled in me is how we impact others is a choice. Choose to be significant. Well, and impactful and purposeful. And you say it well, why settle for being successful when you can choose to be significant based on your dad's advice? So it's not about the money we make. And a lot of our generation, we determine success to be, hey, what kind of car do I drive? What kind of house am I living in? Keep up with the Joneses or whatever it is. And at the end of the day, those aren't the things that really matter. It's the impact we have on people's lives. And that's what I was attracted to this subject because the art of becoming preferred is about becoming significant. In other words, how do you become the emotional favorite? And it's a nicer, warmer place to be as well. I think it just makes for a better, more rounded you. So I'm glad you decided to go down that route. Now, have you had a chance to validate that? Because you've been out in the speaking world now for a number of years. You get to work with a lot of corporations, individuals, and organizations. What's the reception like to that message? What I've discovered is in general, and this is my experience, other people have their own experience. Right. In general, the message is not as widely well-received in the C-suite, which is why I focus on emerging leaders. I'm focused on building a brand new generation of leaders that are committed to integrity and compassion and inclusion, empowering and personal accountability. You talk about generational differences in your work. I'm a baby boomer, but is that something that you see how we've defined success is how much you're working, your job title, the parking spot, all the perks that come with your work versus the younger generation. You get to millennials and your Gen X where they're more idealistic. They want to save the world. They want a cleaner planet. They're very purposeful and intentional in what they want. They want to be more rounded. That's why they don't take jobs the way we did. They have a different work ethic that we did. And sometimes we see that judgment that comes from the C-suite where it's old school and it's still old school thinking, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do see that. The generic hierarchical leadership style, right. do this because I said so, that leaked out of the 20th century into the first two decades of the 21st century it is failing. Right. It just is not working any longer. And it is a generational thing. It's not just baby boomers. A lot of early Xers too. Mm, mm -hmm. Oh, those kids, they don't have any work ethic. You know what? That's not true. Right. I agree. Millennials, and now we're into Gen Z in right. the workplace. I know. They do have a work ethic. It has to matter to them. Because I said so doesn't fly with them. The mindset is, if this is not helping me change the world, why am I doing it? Right. Well, and you teach in your work that organizations to survive and thrive going forward, particularly with the majority of the millennials in the workplace and the workforce today and Gen X coming in right behind them, that there must be a shift in focus and priorities. 
And in fact, you've written about what you call the nine essentials of significance that employing these bottom line factors reduce attrition rates, they increase productivity, improve customer satisfaction, market share, profitability. How did you come up with those nine? I've been teaching them forever. It actually didn't happen until the pandemic hit. And we all had a lot of time on our hands as professional speakers. <laughs> yeah, we did. We lost our jobs. And I hired a business coach because I figured I needed to know how to navigate my path going forward. And we worked together on steeping down the core tenants that I teach into this platform that is the nine essentials of significant leadership. So the first one is understanding your own value. Right. A core knowledge that you have value because you exist. Just to show up. Yeah. The second one is treat all people with respect. And there's a real important caveat on this one. There's a difference, a real difference between respecting someone and treating someone with respect. Mm -hmm. Difference between respect for and respect to. I've met a lot of people that for whatever reason, I can't respect them. Maybe it's the choices they've made or the words that they choose are differing ethics, whatever it is. I can't respect them. Right. That doesn't mean that I don't show up and make a daily choice to treat them with respect. Right. There's a difference. Every day. The and colonel used to say, you don't have to respect everyone, Lauren Ann. You have no right to disrespect anyone, young lady. No. And we don't see that anymore. In some of your articles and your blogs and things I've read about you, we look at our political discourse. We didn't have to agree, but you see that division in our country and in North America where we have political divide and the leaders actually use that. They actually try to do that on purpose and disrespect from our leaders down and we're expected to respect them. It's difficult and creates a tough situation for all of us. And between you and me, it makes me nuts. <laughs> it makes me nuts too. So yeah. number one, know your own value. Number yeah. two, treat all people with respect. Yeah. Number three, Act with integrity at all times, because as a leader, your team is not just watching you from nine to five. Right. They're watching you all the time. Yeah. So act with integrity at all time. When you're in integrity, what do you do when nobody's watching you? It's easy to be good if you're playing a role, but is that who you really are? My definition of integrity, it's not original to me. I think it came from that great sage anonymous. <laughs> integrity is doing what is right because it's right yeah. every time, whether anyone is looking or not. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's the real character. I've been reading the Stoics. Ryan Holiday wrote a book called The Daily Stoic, which is an awesome book. And I read a page every day and you hear what the Stoics said from 2000 years ago. And it's just a nice positive way to start your day. You can do it in one minute a day two minutes a day. So there's a good plug for his book there, but awesome book, but it's the same thing. And the Stoics always talked about it. It's who are you when nobody's looking, nobody's paying attention. And it's not all about the big success things. It's who you are as a person and individual, that inner you, that, that self and who that self is. I agree with you. I think integrity is doing what is right because it is right. And you have to define that, but I think that people recognize that. And then open your mind to new possibilities is the next one. Number four. Yes. Yeah. Open your mind to new possibilities. A closed mind cannot lead right. and a closed mind cannot grow. This episode is sponsored in part by Rainmaker Digital Solutions featuring ActiveCampaign. Looking to drive growth with customer experience automation? ActiveCampaign, the number one marketing automation platform for e-commerce, B2C and B2B companies, gives you the email marketing, marketing automation, and CRM tools you need to create incredible customer experiences. ActiveCampaign is the platform we use to reach, nurture, convert, and grow our business, and you can use it to grow yours. 
You can see why 150,000 plus businesses like yours choose ActiveCampaign to help them grow and become preferred in the markets they serve. You can also start your free trial by visiting our website and clicking on the ActiveCampaign trial link. As a bonus, we'll also give you a digital copy of my book, Becoming Preferred, How to Outsell the Competition. And in the interest of full disclosure, I am a shareholder in the company. And now back to my conversation with Lauren Schieffer. Number five is craft a vision. But with regard to significance, like crafting a vision is leadership 101. With regard to significant leadership, that vision is not just about where you're going or where the company's going or where the agency is going. That vision has to be inclusive of every single member on your team. You have to be able to communicate that vision in a manner such that what's it going to look like, feel like, smell like, be like for each individual person on your team when we all together collectively as a team get to that shining vision. As a leader, when you have your vision and maybe it's your job to create that vision for your organization, or sometimes you're part of executing somebody else's vision. So how does that fit in when maybe it's somebody else's and maybe you're not in agreement or it's not exactly where you want to go? What's the strategy there? Find the what's in it for them. Mm, Create the engagement. Every human being has an invisible sign hanging around their neck that says, make me feel important. And underneath that sign in little bitty letters, it says, and what's in it for me? Right. Find out the what's in it for them. How's it going to benefit them when we get to the shining city. Let's go back one for a minute. A thought just came into mind when you talked about opening your mind to new possibilities. Significant leaders that you teach in your lessons and programs know that they don't know everything or that they have all the answers and they're purposeful in tapping into the knowledge and strengths of others. Why is there so much resistance to those newer ideas and particularly generationally? You say you've got a baby boomer C-level executive and you've got a millennial who's coming in or we just did a program talking about never apologize for your leadership. Can I speak up? Can I offer something here? And it's a leadership problem and it's a challenge for women in the organizations. We've addressed it in the podcast, but what's the issue or how can we cross those chasms or what can leaders do in order to be embracing of other people's ideas and thoughts? Well, I think a lot of that tends to be the people that they follow or emulate. And it is, to a certain extent, a generational thing because the boss is supposed to know everything. According to the old generation, the (laughs) boss is supposed to know everything. And to make a generational reference, bosses too often fall into a Cliff Clavin syndrome. Good old Cliff. Where... I don't know, but I'm going to BS and bluster and come up with a good story so that you think I know. Right. Whereas a truly significant leader has enough self-esteem, that's the number one, and enough integrity, number three, Mm -hmm. to say, you know what? I don't know. Let me do some research. I'll find out. Or I don't know that. Why don't you do the research? And then we'll both grow together. That actually is courage. That takes courage and integrity. Well, it's showing that vulnerability. And we look at things sometimes as weakness or the older generations do, but the younger generation, it's like, hey, you've got the courage to say, I don't know, or I need help or reach out. We just had this conversation, one of our episodes on mental health in the workplace with Michelle Dickinson and great, great episode. And she talks about that where out of the millennials, 50, 60% of the workforce as millennials have had a mental lapse at work in the workplace, but they're scared to come forward with it. So if you get COVID and you phone into work and you say, hey, I've got COVID, I'm not coming in for 10 days. 
everybody in the office says, oh, good luck, best of luck to you. You tell me you're having anxiety and feeling overwhelmed and frustrated or whatever you're going through or experiencing, and we don't want to do it. We don't want to share it because we're scared of what others are going to be thinking of us or it demonstrates weakness in our mind. So it's changing that mindset, isn't it? changing the way we view those things. So I, I like that. That makes sense. Let's move on to communicate respectfully. And I think that goes hand in hand with this. Absolutely. After we craft the vision, we have to find a way to communicate it. And for a long time, I, along with many of my well-beloved and respected colleagues, taught that the best way to communicate is to be assertive. Mm-hmm. Well, I've discovered that respectful communication by its very nature is assertive. I've also discovered that all assertive communication is not necessarily respectful. So I challenge myself and anyone that I open my mouth to, to a higher standard. And my definition of respectful communication is borrowed. It comes from Meryl Runyon. It comes from her book, Power Phrases. And that is say what you mean, mean what you say, and don't be mean when you say it. Brilliant. That is profound in its simplicity. Yeah. Say what you mean, mean what you say, and don't be mean when you say it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Wish I could take credit for it, but I won't because it came from Errol Runyon. That's right. That's good. And it's different for the different genders too. So when a man is assertive or he's loud or aggressive, he's a leader. We view him as, oh, what a strong leader. When in today's world, when a woman's aggressive or assertive, and I think the difference between the two is just gender. That's it. Oh, see, and just in the way you just said it. Yeah. Because when a woman is assertive, yeah. she comes off as aggressive. Right. A man can get away with being aggressive. Right. Women, even in being assertive, are viewed as aggressive, which is why that fine line of respectful communication, say what you mean, mean what you say, don't be mean when you say it, is so important. It is. And it's different because you have to filter that where we don't. We still have a lot of work to do in the corporate workplace and in general life, I think, just the way we communicate. So communicate respectfully and Basically, what you're saying is significant leaders endeavor to ensure all people feel safe and are treated with respect. That is our objective as communicators. Our objective as communicators is threefold. First, all people feel safe and treated with respect in our presence while we stand our own ground and we get our message across. Excellent. And it has to come in that order because if you don't feel safe, and I'm not just talking physically safe. I'm also talking intellectually safe and emotionally safe. Mm -hmm. If you don't feel safe in a conversation, it's normal and natural to shut down. You're not open to continuing that conversation. And we all have at one time or another felt disrespected in a conversation, which shuts us down. So in order to communicate effectively, it has to come in that order. All people feel safe and treated with respect in our presence while we stand our own ground and we get our message across. Mm, Excellent. Lead by example. Absolutely. And absolutely everything lead by example in the way you communicate, the way you conduct yourself in business, the way you conduct yourself outside of the office. It ties very tightly into number three, act with integrity. But it's understanding that people are following you, whether you've asked them to or not. So you want to lead by example. The colonel used to say that there's only three ways to lead. Number one is by example. Number two is by example. Number three, kiddo. (laughs) by example. And as a leader, particularly in the military, they're watching you do as I say, but not as I do. Great quote by Ralph Waldo Emerson, who said, what you do speak so loudly, I cannot hear what you say. I always thought my dad said that until I grew up and recognized that it came from Did he borrow that one? He plagiarized old Ralph. Well, significant leaders are consistently intentional 
between your writings and exhibiting behaviors that people would expect from them and from their teams. So it's really about who am I going to be and what kind of example do I want to be? And that's what people do. They judge us by that versus just the words. And I think that comes with a little bit of maturity too, right? When I look at the mistakes that I made growing up, ego-based, just dumb decisions and trying to stand out and be something that I wasn't. And I'm often reminded by my family and my wife, hey, be more of yourself. Be yourself. Don't be that. Be this. Be who you are. Don't try and pretend to be someone else. And that's one thing I do like about our younger generations is they tend to have their own identities. And that diversity and that inclusion is powerful. And it makes organizations stronger as well. It's really important to understand that in leading by example, no one expects you to be perfect. Those who are following you, those on your team expect you to be genuine and see you genuinely trying to do what is right. All of us are human. We all fall off higher ground every time. Not every time, but all the time. Those are oh poop days. We have to scrub our feet (laughs) off climb back up and try and walk higher ground again. But so long as we're always trying to lead by example, and we are willing to show our vulnerabilities, then that has a genuineness that those who are following us can latch onto. And I think it's powerful as we're both speakers and we both get to go on stage and talk to audiences. And the one thing I learned years and years ago, because we both transitioned to the speaking career by accident or it found us, we didn't find it. Right. I've learned very early that I could go on stage and with the introduction, it was like, here's how marvelous Michael is and here's all his accomplishments. And then I found the audiences kind of sit back, not connecting. And instead I usually open up with, Hey, here's a few successes, but man, here's all the mistakes. And then you're going to learn more from my mistakes and everything I've done wrong than you ever will from what I've done right. And I show that vulnerability in the first five or 10 minutes. And when I talk and tell the stories, I'm always trying to connect with those demographics and old and young and all the genders and everything in between. So it's really about that connection. But I find vulnerability is most people don't beat you up. And as you say, you have to have the courage to do that. When we have things like COVID that happened, it was brutal time. If you were on the road, you got recalled, your gigs got canceled, your cash flow went away. And it was humbling because we saw this whole house of cards fall down in very short order, right? It just came down. And if you happen to own stocks and like in airlines, like I did, man, it was a double whammy. I cried for a week, literally cried for a week. But I look at it and I look back now and I actually think the pandemic probably saved my life because the trajectory I was on, I was always working, I was away from family. I was chasing those things that we would normally define success and no longer did I have those. So how I identified was no longer there. And it gave me a chance to reflect and figure out who's Michael and what do I stand for and what's really important to me. So those changes became critical for me and I feel stronger for it. And it's maintaining that humility and knowing that this can happen again, but we don't know we have tomorrow, right? We only know we have today. So people aren't going to remember you by your home, your car, how much money you have in the bank account. They're going to wonder what kind of person you were. Were you a significant person or were you just another person chasing the almighty buck, right? And Mm -hmm. so I like what you say there. Next one, celebrate the results of others. I think this is huge. Absolutely. As leaders, it is our responsibility to make the shift from individual contributor and getting celebrated for our own accolades to transition to putting our team forward and celebrating the results of our team and each individual member of our team. We do that before ourselves because if we're leading well, The team is shining. That's how we know that we're leading well. Not because I'm shining, because my team is shining. So celebrate the results of others. Aspiring leaders don't often recognize this. They think it's got to be about me. And our baby boomers created that 
me generation, right? It's all about me. And I'm not a big tattoo guy, but I do have a tattoo on my right arm. And this came from the Stoics from 2000 years ago. And it says, ego is the enemy, oh, right? And I love that. And it's big and bold for a reason, right? So whenever I get into egotistical issues, my wife will point out and go, read your right arm. You need to read your right arm. But it's true. And what happens is we come up with ideas and we want to take the credit for those ideas where true leaders learn to give that credit to others, share that credit, build it with their teams. And that empowers the team. We all want to have ownership of this idea. You know, in some of our workshops, we'll go into brainstorming sessions or strategic planning retreats with some of the companies we get to work with. And the first thing we do is we say, here's the ground rules. There's no judgment on the ideas. We're not judging them. There's no ownership. We're all going to own everything that comes out of it because I might say something that's a good idea, but all of a sudden it stimulates a thought in your mind, Lauren, that is now even an improvement of that idea. And then all of a sudden someone else at the back of the room comes up with even a greater idea, and they would have never have got there had the stimulus not been there. And so it's about that sharing, then giving credit where credit's due. And when you're building up that other individual, we think, well, is it taking away from me? And it's not a zero-sum game. It's always a win-win, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Right. Well, that's important. So don't seek to receive the credit, but seek to give the credit. This next one I found was really, really interesting. Your last one, working for your replacement. It's kind of make yourself redundant or obsolete. And I don't know if it's quite that, but a good leader is working on succession. Who's coming in behind me? The primary job of a leader is to replace themselves. The primary job of a significant leader is to build behind them as many significant leaders as they can to shift the mindset from the generic hierarchical right. leadership model of the 19th and 20th centuries to a significant right. leadership model where we are all serving each other. So yeah, our primary job as leaders is to replace ourselves. So as you teach these nine principles and with the people on significant leadership, are there certain companies that do better with this than others? In other words, what's the ideal sweet spot where they're receptive to your message? I think that organizations that are focused on service are more open to this message because it ties in directly with what their mission, vision, and purpose is or should be. And other than that, it really depends on the leader and how in tune to this the leader is and what mm -hmm. kind of corporate culture they have chosen to create in the organization. I'm really big in the trades. I'm really big in healthcare. I mean, people like me in healthcare. Associations, of course, because associations are focused on serving their members. So service industries. Right. Well, and it makes sense. When you build a track record like you have and within organizations, what's the best way people can get told of you? We're going to have all your contact information on the show notes. We can go to your website. You can go to the website. And if you choose to email me, yep. email me at lauren at laurenschiefer.com. What's next for you? Any projects that you're working on that are coming up next? Absolutely. My next big project is a leadership intensive. I do four times a year. It's called the Leader's Table. And it's uh, three hours. It's a three-hour leadership intensive where I go over the nine essentials of significant leadership. And then every participant, there's only 12 per session. So it allows us to really get in there. And every participant also gets an hour and a half one-on-one -on -one with me as a follow-up, build down implementation. Yep. I do it four times a year. 
So oh, that's my all next right. big project right now. So they can get information on your website and can reach out to you and connect you on all the social sites. And I know you're very generous with your time and your information, your material, and are out there to help other people. This has been a real delight, Lauren. Thank you for sharing some of your work with us and what we can do to become significant leaders. I think that's a great distinction versus just being a leader or a successful leader, how we would define it old school. I know you market yourself in your program and on your website as a colonel's daughter. I think if your dad was alive and people ran into your dad, they'd say, are you related to Lauren Schieffer? And <laughs> is she your daughter? And so I know he'd be proud of you. And you've taken a lot of the lessons that he's taught you as well. And you've incorporated them and you've instilled them in the hearts of individuals and organizations. So thanks for all your hard work. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This has been so much fun. My pleasure. This podcast is created and associated with Summit Media. My production team is Beth Smith and Kendra Vickers. The fee for the show is that you share it with friends when you find something useful or interesting.